Good evening, and welcome to Friendship Radio and to the Grand March Through Life. My name is James Huey, facilitator of the Friendship Personal Retreat Program here in Galveston and on ships cruising seas throughout the world. Offering the gift of listening hospitality, I invite you to join me here on KGBC Friendship Radio for Southeast Texas as we explore topics to enrich the quality of your life, power for positive living, and friendship. And it is good to have you here this Thursday evening as we get together to explore topics that are of interest to you. We focus in the areas of personal growth, of emotional growth, social growth, physical growth, and spiritual growth. And this evening, we're going to be focusing a great deal of attention on the latter area, as my guest is Mrs. Cecile White-Holmes, religion editor of the Houston Chronicle. We're going to be talking in various areas of personal growth related to spirituality and religion. Cecile, I guess I'd like to kind of start with what kinds of things do people respond to most frequently in the articles that you do write? Of course, when I write a controversial article or I write about a controversial subject, there are going to be people who disagree. And I occasionally get hate mail. I get letters from people who think I should espouse only one particular theological viewpoint, which I must admit often is only their particular theological <laughs> viewpoint, or from people who are convinced that just because we wrote this story, some article about some particular subject, we're advocating one religion or another. I was trained not to do that as a journalist, and from an ethical sense as a professional and from a moral sense as a human being. I obviously don't want to do that. I try very hard to get both sides of the story, but I get both positive and negative letters and calls, and I tell people when they call that I would rather they called and told me they really didn't like a story than that I heard no reaction at all, because at least I know they're reading the newspaper, and I know that we're publishing something that is making an impact in the larger community. Just exposing people to a certain point of view, sometimes that's mistaken as being an advocate for that point of view. Probably the best protection against someone misperceiving a story that way is to try very hard to get both points of view. And that can mean staying at the office a couple of hours later and keep calling the same person back who hasn't returned your telephone calls because he or she represents the viewpoint you don't have for the story yet, or at least making the point in the article, repeated attempts to reach this person or that person for comment were unsuccessful. That's a flag to the reader that says, hey, you know, we tried to tell you as much about the subject as we possibly could. I do find that most people seem to understand that it's necessary to get both sides of the story. Occasionally, I'll have somebody tell me very, very honestly, oh, do write a good article. And I don't usually argue with that person, but if they press me, I say, look, I'll do my best to write a fair article, and, and I hope it's a good article. Mm -hmm. And my definition of good would be at least one of the keys in that definition would be the word fair. It would also have to be thorough and as objective as possible. My guess is some of these people are saying when they use that term, a good article is one that agrees with me or my thought pattern. I think I'll let them answer that question. <laughs> And I can relate to this because I think everybody has this experience. I don't personally enjoy movies that are violent. 
And I know people who have seen films that were very violent that they said were very good movies. Well, I have a personal bias of not liking that kind of film. And chances are, if I went to that sort of movie, I would not enjoy it. I think when people read a book, if they meet someone whose point of view is radically different from their own, and it's difficult for them to accept that that person has that point of view and won't change his or her mind, I think sometimes people will perceive something as being an advocacy article, if that's the proper adjective, for a particular subject. This kind of leads me to something I really wanted to make sure we covered this evening, and that's the dichotomy that happens within various religious groups. And I know particularly as I listen to people talk individually within personal retreats, that sometimes it's very difficult as people strive to clarify their own religious values, their religious beliefs, and those that they're hearing inside that seem to work for them as versus some doctrine or some value that is imposed externally. As I've noticed in some of the articles, the conflict between, say, for example, members of the Christian faith trying to strive for the same goal as a Christian. How do you respond as a, a religion editor to someone who might call you up and say, you know, I'm not sure whether Group A or Group B, I mean, they're supposed to be peace, and, and here they are fighting each other, and they each claim to have the, the truth with a capital T. What kind of guidance or help would you offer them? The sort of guidance or help I would try to offer through a news article and that is to refer them to books that I've read or people that I know who are experts on the particular denomination or faith that they're interested in. I also encourage people to read more widely and to read news magazines, to read their denominational publications. A lot of times when I've met someone that the theologians would call the person in the pew who said, you know, I really don't understand what this squabble at the national level is about. I said, well, do you read so-and-so, which is the News Weekly put out by their denomination in Texas? And they said, well, it comes. You know, I look at it occasionally. <laughs> Most of those publications are quite good. Some of them are very professional. If it's a denomination that has bishops, there will be like a bishop's column. They will go into greater depth than we can on a weekly or a day-to-day -day basis about a particular topic that's of concern to that denomination. Most faith perspectives, and this would include Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, etc. Many of them also have a publishing house. A lot of people just aren't aware that such a publishing house exists. There are also books on church history, and a lot of these are written for the layperson. These are not theological tomes that are all 650 pages that only someone who has four PhDs or a heck of a lot of time could plow <laughs> their way through. I wouldn't have time to read them if there were. But a lot of times it's just a matter of people don't know where to go on a particular perspective. And I refer people to the public libraries or the university libraries with some regularity. And we cover news events, controversies within the broad religious community and at the same time within individual religious communities. But we also try to balance those with stories on subjects of specific concern to our readership. And I pick up on those kinds of ideas from phone calls I get from people, from being personally involved in a faith community myself, from my friends, from other people in the office. An example of that is six or seven months ago, I did a story on youth ministry. 
And I spent a lot of time at several local churches, including blacks and whites. I talked with people who were both the kids who come to the youth programs that these congregations sponsor, and I talked to the people who devote hundreds of volunteer hours to taking teenagers on retreats, to helping them deal with everything from issues of sexuality to drugs to occupational questions. I looked at it from a different perspective with a local Jewish organization in Houston concerning the impact of making a trip to Israel on a young person's development as a Jew, especially as someone involved in the Jewish community and concerned about the future of Israel, which is an issue for most people in the Jewish community. That's the kind of story. It takes a long time, a lot of weekend and evening work to do that kind of piece. But a lot of research and, yeah. and, and being on the scene yeah. in a lot of these denominations. I, I tried very hard to dig up people at seminaries who'd written books to try to offer in the article. I mean, I don't offer a bibliography at the end of a story, although I do occasionally get phone calls from people saying, where can I get that book? Where can I, where can I find that article? We do stories occasionally on new books. There was a book that came out called The Agony of Deceit, within the last six months that was published by an evangelical publishing house that looked at the scandals among televangelists. And it was a series of essays written, nearly all of them, by people who would call themselves evangelicals and who would be in the broad evangelical specter in the American religious landscape. And I wrote an article about that book and interviewed the author because it was criticism from, in one sense, from the inside as opposed to an outsider looking in or a scholarly book, although those are also very helpful. You mentioned a wide diversity. Has the Chronicle done any research as to who are the people who read the religion section? We do do market studies on a regular basis that look at who reads the religion section. In addition, there was a national study done within the last couple of years, and the national study showed that Oh, I'm trying to remember the percentage. But that religion news, including news of the impact churches have had on the fall of communism in Eastern Europe, things that you would not guess the average reader might want to read, but that religion news was as important to most readers, both men and women, and the conventional wisdom often is that only women or mainly women are in the churches and mainly women are interested in religion. And I'm not going to get into a statistical argument about that. But what I'm about age? I mean, older versus younger. From a membership standpoint, church membership statistics and some of the mainline denominations, the United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, the United Church of Christ, indicate those denominations are graying, that their members are older. But at the same time, you've got baby boomers having children returning to church. All of a sudden, they either have a little infant or frequently a one-, two-, or three-year-old, and they realize at Christmas that they don't have any basis for the tree and maybe even the creche. They decide to put up. Most of our readers are probably over 30, and I'm not basing that upon market studies but upon my contact with people. Mm -hmm. However, it's not out of the ordinary for me to get a letter or a phone call from a teenager, especially a teenager actively involved in a faith community in Houston. I've been interviewed by kids working for their high school papers, by students who just were interested, who thought maybe they would want to be religion writers someday or religion editors. I know we have a younger audience, too. I do think most of the studies do show that if they leave a church or or the religious tradition in which they were brought up, 
that generally that occurs sometime between like 18 and 30. And that when they come back, if they come back, and studies indicate more and more are, that occurs once they're settled, whether they marry or not. I mean, it's true for single adults, too. One of the things that also comes to my mind is you've handled the idea of dichotomy and diversity. One of the things that, in addition to this, that I'm thinking of tonight is more along the lines of religion and spirituality. In other words, you are religion editor. Does that encompass any focus on personal spirituality, or is that... I guess I'm asking, is it included, or is it different than the need to focus on religion? Both. Would (laughs) probably be the fairest, most accurate answer. There are things that might come under the broad heading of spirituality that would be covered in other sections of the paper also. But then there are issues of religion. Religion is broad enough that it would be covered in other sections and we would write stories for other sections. Issues of spirituality, though, are, I think, of primary concern to readers and most studies, most of the conversations I have, show that people believe that there is a widespread search for deeper meaning, especially in the Western world. A real simple example of that is is there was a study... I think this was actually like a panel done back late 1970s, early 1980s by the Rockefeller Foundation. And the outgrowth of the study was a booklet that said that there should be religion coverage in newspapers that was as extensive and as specialized, but also as well done as business reporting, environmental reporting, because modern scholars had, in one sense at least, tended to underestimate the impact on religion. And the example of that was one of the scholars on the committee said that in the 1979 revolution in Iran that there were American analysts who just did not consider the significance of Islamic belief in what was going on in that nation. So that's an international issue, and yet, to me, it points to a much more widespread kind of question, and that is people are looking for what is it that should matter to me in my daily life. Sometimes it takes people a long time, and sometimes it's a split second or a very powerful conversion experience. It comes back to what is the meaning of my relationship with God. So we would do stories about people who are experts in prayer. We would do stories about individuals who represent, who are like at the top of their denomination, who have a particular... We interviewed the patriarch of the Coptic Orthodox Church a year ago, who is a very important person within a small faith community in Houston. The significance of trying to ground young Muslims in the important tenets of their faith in a very secular culture was the focus of one of our stories. We've done stories about where we've gone with Jehovah's Witnesses to knock on doors on Saturday morning and talked about who they are and what it is that they do on a day-to-day basis. So in other words, you sense that eventually it does get around back to a relationship with God. No matter which faith, this growth of seeking meaning and value in our lives will come back to God. If a person has decided, I choose to live in relationship to God, What kind of impact does that have on my life? That's where articles on subjects ranging from the anti-drug effort to the expert giving a talk on centering prayer come into play in my work day to day. Once people have decided that they're on this search for meaning, 
a lot of them never get off the boat. They're on a voyage, like friendship, that they stay on for their whole lives. And they're not satisfied with simple answers. Sometimes people call me up with questions that I can't answer, and that's usually indicative of my need to read more in a particular subject or maybe to write an article. Sometimes people ask, is it possible to explore one's spirituality, to study spirituality and find meaning in life, without it necessarily evolving back to a religion. And I'm kind of stumped sometimes, because it's a legitimate question, I believe. I'm sensing your experience has led you to come to one conclusion, and I'm just kind of eager if you could share with me and the listeners what kinds of things that led you to reach the conclusion that you did. I guess my point of view is based in large measure upon people I have met and interviewed and spent time with and written about. I grew up and graduated from college in the 1970s, which is known in American history now as the me decade. And there were a lot of people that I was friends with who in school and afterwards took off on a lot of interesting tangents that might be called spirituality by them or by other people. And I'm not denigrating that or saying that that search might not lead them to spiritual growth. But most of the people I've written about, they've either come full circle or they've come through what would be known in Christian history as the dark night of the soul. They've been through a pivotal life event, in many cases a painful one, some sort of loss, some sort of death, and it has turned them and their lives around back to a focus for deeper meaning that has generally led them to God. Now, God is a very big word. From an orthodox perspective, in terms of Christianity at least, and I am most familiar with that tradition, although I have read in other faith traditions also, God would be defined as a person and for many Christian communities in a very specific kind of way. But there are people that I've talked with who I would classify as deeply spiritual people who are making a difference changing the world either in a very small way or a very big way, who probably would have a looser definition of that word. And I don't think it's up to me to decide if their definition is right or wrong. If a person represents the one point of view in terms of spirituality or religiosity that I would treat very carefully would be one that was very extreme, something which religious perspective that advocated something outside of a cultural norm in southeast Texas. And there are groups of that sort. I would never write an article about them. It means that I would be very careful in what I reported. We also make an effort in the section on a regular basis to treat the faith perspectives of people with respect. And that's what I'm really referring to here. When a person says, I believe this and I believe this very deeply, generally it's possible, not always, but generally with some research you can determine if that person really means what he or she says. You can talk to other people in the faith community. I mean, their religion has its charlatans, just oh, like yes. anyone does. Anyone. And part of my job as a reporter is to try to weed out the charlatans because you don't want to write articles about people who are advocating that which is very dangerous or very destructive 
and I'm using those words in a very careful sense. But at the same time, you don't want to deny people in a society where freedom of speech is important and real. You don't want to not listen to someone just because they're different. And I talk to people that have an outlook on things that would be considered out of step with the norm. Sometimes I write an article and sometimes I don't. I do interview people and do research for stories that never get published because within my judgment, they're not news stories or I'm not able to verify what the person has told me by accepted standards, including either their credibility is highly suspect, it appears that they have a real axe to grind, and I can't verify the information that they've given me under any accepted standards. And people will circulate misinformation. This doesn't happen very often. But part of my job is to try very hard. I make mistakes, everyone does, but to try very hard to be thorough and critical in the way I look at the information presented to me and to present it with balance. My observation of reading your story is that you do a very commendable job being very thorough and very well balanced. I guess going back to the definition of a higher being in God, I know in personal retreating, I find some people have the description of God or a higher being but they can't use the word because of the connotations from previous negative experiences within an organized faith. They just can't use that word. So they create a new word, but it's very, very similar to what other people would call God or higher being. And I think this is probably one of the things that we here in personal growth realize, whether it's God or higher being or greater power or whatever we choose, you know, it is our choice. Whether we choose to exercise it within a structure of our own being or whether we decide to subscribe to one that's already established, one that we feel comfortable with, one that we can subscribe to beliefs and maybe join a community that have similar thoughts. I sense that this is important in personal growth from a psychological point of view. You as an individual and I as an individual have the right to either define and create, say for example, our spiritual search within or without a religion. In the few moments we have left, could you just give us a reaction feeling about your experience traveling with John Paul? I was amazed more than anything else at his staying power. I traveled with him in Mexico, and it was really interesting to cover him in another culture, a culture that does not happen to be the one which nurtured me. I grew up in the United States. There is an enormous personal warmth and charisma about the man, even to people who disagree with him on a vast range of social and moral issues. But as I said, it was his staying power. I watched him stand out for four or five hours at time, fully in all of his papal regalia with his mitre on and carrying his staff serving mass with several hundred thousand people looking on in temperatures that were over 95 degrees. Whereas I and other people writing about him were very tired, the Pope just hung in there the whole time. He's learned how to conserve energy. He calls himself the traveling Pope. I also felt like he really was on a pilgrimage in a very real sense for him as an individual. I don't think that's just PR. I think that's real. You see it in his face. And I think that's often what the people who do revere him and greet him with such exultation, I think that's what they see and what they respond to. 
Well, and he is able to convey that over television as well as apparently in person. Cecile, it's been a delightful evening. Time has just flown by. I've just been amazed at how fast the clock on the wall is saying it's almost time to go. I want to thank you very much for coming, and we just barely tapped a number of very fascinating and delightful topics. Perhaps somewhere down the line we can get together again. But thank you so much for your kindness and coming down from Houston to be with us. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. And I want to thank all of you for joining me this evening here on KGBC AM 1540 Friendship Radio for all of Galveston County. And my guest this evening has been Cecile White, religion editor with the Houston Chronicle, and I do thank her for her kindness in joining us. I do hope that all of you who have been listening, that this program has provided some valuable information and resource as you write your life story. And I hope you will join me again on Friendship Radio, AM 1540, as we continue to explore topics to enrich the quality of your life, power for positive living and friendship. This is your friend and host, James Huey. Good night. Good night.